Well, Shabbat Shalom, brothers and sisters. Glad to see everyone back for another edition of God Honest Truth live stream. Now, tonight's drosh really needs no introduction. Christmas does not need to be introduced itself. Everyone really knows about Christmas in today's day and age. But did you know that the original war on Christmas was actually waged by Christians themselves? And in fact, Christmas has not always been celebrated. If you'd like to get into some more of the history about that, some more facts and scriptures, then definitely stay tuned for tonight's Drosh, where we get into the subject of Christmas, the history, definitely scriptures, like always, but so much more information. So make sure to stay tuned for tonight's Drosh on Christmas. But before that, like always, we'll be getting to tonight's liturgy, Torah portion, half Torah portion, and Brit Hadashah portion. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, we'd like to say shalom and welcome. We are God Honest Truth, and we are a Messianic ministry based out of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about us at GodHonestTruth.com. There, not only can you find information about the ministry, but you can find resources to further you in your faith and in your walk. You can find audio Bibles. You can find apps and resources to help you in learning your Hebrew, notes, article teachings, video teachings, all kinds of good stuff. So go check it out at www.GodHonestTruth.com. Now, if you need to contact us for any reasons with any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or what have you, you can do so through one of our many social media profiles or directly through email, which is probably the best. And you can do that at team at GodHonestTruth.com. So, with all that being out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our liturgy. Cold <laughs> Ufate misrak kadima Ayin lezion zofia Od lo avda tikvate nu Atikva bashnot alpaim Lehiyotam koshi Beharzehenu Eretz Zion Verushalayim Lahiyotam Koshi Beharzehenu Eretz Zion Verushalayim Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Baruch Shem Kivon, Malhuto, Leolam Vayen. Hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is for eternity. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And have these words which I command you this day be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and let them be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. So in the way of announcements this week, just want to remind everyone or let you know specifically for this week that we have went ahead and put up the notes that we have taken on the subject of Christmas on our website, GodHonestTruth.com. If you go there, you can find it under the regular notes section, under the resources menu, and you can also find it on the post for tonight's drosh, which should be right there on the main homepage for the Christmas drosh. So go ahead, go to GodHonestTruth.com, and there you can find the post with the live video, the drosh slides for tonight's drosh, and also our notes on Christmas. So if this is something that interests you and you'd like to find out more about the history and the origins of Christmas, go check that out at GodHonestTruth.com. And like always, here's a list of upcoming episodes for about the next two months or so. Tonight, like we said, is all about Christmas, so definitely stay tuned for tonight's drosh. Next week, we're going to be doing a drosh on what happens when we die. A lot of people have questions about this from time to time. And we delve deep into the scriptures to see what scriptures has to say about this. So definitely tune in next week for that Josh as well. Oh, excuse me. And then here's the rest of your upcoming episodes for about the next two months or so. Each of those coming up on Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's, of course, as long as no sickness or whatnot comes up. But we will always let you know about that ahead of time like we always do. Here's your list of upcoming feast days or Moedim for the next upcoming year, all the way through Sukkot of next year. And of course, our next upcoming Moedim, or feast day rather, is going to be Hanukkah. And that starts on, uh, I'm sorry, sunset of December 18th, and it runs through sunset of December 26th. Now, if you'd like to know more about Hanukkah, you can go back and watch the drosh that we did last week. It goes through the history why we do Hanukkah, the symbolism, etc., etc. So go back and check that out if you'd like to know more and even how to celebrate Hanukkah. And as always, if you have any prayer requests or announcements that you would like to have announced live on air, make sure to have those in to us by Thursday evening at the latest. Just simply send those to us at team at godhonesttruth.com. And if you would just like for us to pray for you, we can do that as well. Just let us know that you would like to not have it announced on air. And we'll add you to our prayer list and pray for you right here from the ministry. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and get back to tonight's liturgy. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. He walked among us, filled with your Spirit. The only one who ever perfectly fulfilled your Torah, he healed the sick and raised the dead. The multitudes of our people sought his touch. He taught as no man taught. With authority he brought forth the treasures of the Torah. 
How the children sought him, the lepers he touched and made clean. How the despised and outcast found love and release from their sin. How the hypocrites feared him, whose words uncovered their sin. Despised and rejected, acquainted with grief, he bore the sins of Israel. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, turned every one to his own way. Our iniquities were laid upon the king, the sins of the world, his burden to bear. He rose from the dead and opened the way to life everlasting. Praise his name. We are in him. His spirit empowers. New life is ours with joy and peace. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us Messiah our King. For the sake of our Master Yeshua, and his merit and virtues, may the sayings of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be favorable before you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen. Avinu Shabashamayim Yikadesh Shemcha Tavo Mahutecha Yesa Retonecha Baaretz Kaasher Naasa Vashemayim. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done as on earth, so as in heaven. Ten lanu hayom, lechem hukenu, usalach lanu, et ashmatenu ka asher. So lechim anachnu, la asher ashmulanu. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Ve'al tevienu lidei masah, Ki'im hatsilenu min hara. Kilaha, amamlaha, vahagavura, vahatifaret, le olame, olamim. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. None can compare to you, O Lord, and nothing compares to your creation. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your mercy endures throughout all generations. The Lord is king. The Lord was king. The Lord shall be king throughout all time. May the Lord grant his people mercy. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt him together. And it came to pass... Whenever the ark went forth, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. For from Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in holiness gave the Torah to his people Israel. All right, and tonight's Torah portion is going to be Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, through chapter 23, verse 33. And we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home if you'd like to follow along with us.
Exodus chapter 22, verse 25 through chapter 23, verse 33. Verse 25. If you do lend silver to any of my people, the poor among you, you are not to be like one that lends on interest to him. Do not lay interest on him. If you take your neighbor's garment as a pledge at all, you are to return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What does he sleep in? And it shall be that when he cries to me, I shall hear, for I show favor. Do not revile an Elohim, nor curse a ruler of your people. Do not delay giving your harvest and your vintage. Give me the firstborn of your sons. Likewise, you are to do with your oxen, with your sheep. It is to be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you give it to me. And you are set apart men to me, and you do not eat any meat which is torn to pieces in the field. You throw it to the dogs. You do not bring a false report. Do not put your hand with the wrong to be a malicious witness. Do not follow a crowd to do evil, nor bear witness in a strife so as to turn aside after many to turn aside what is right. And do not favor a poor man in his strife. When you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall certainly return it to him. When you see the donkey of him who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall certainly help him. Do not turn aside the right ruling of your poor in his strife. Keep yourself far from a false matter, and do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I do not declare the wrong right. And do not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the seeing one and twists the words of the righteous. And do not oppress a sojourner, as you yourselves know the heart of a sojourner, because you were sojourners in the land of Mitzrayim. And for six years you are to sow your land, and shall gather its increase. But the seventh year you are to let it rest, and shall leave it, and the poor of your people shall eat. And what they leave, the beast of the field eat. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive yard. Six days you are to do your work, and on the seventh day you rest, in order that your ox and your donkey might rest. And the son of your female servant and the sojourner be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, take heed, and make no mention of the name of other mighty ones. Let it not be heard from your mouth. Three times in the year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Guard the festival of Matzot. Seven days you eat unleavened bread as I commanded you, at the time appointed in the new moon of Abib. For in it you came out of Mitzrayim, and do not appear before me empty-handed. And the festival of the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the festival of the ingathering at the outgoing of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year all your males are to appear before the master Yahweh. Do not slaughter the blood of my slaughtering with leavened bread, and the fat of my festival shall not remain until morning. Bring the first fruit, first of the first fruits of your land into the house of Yahweh your Elohim. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. See, I am sending a messenger before you to guard you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on guard before him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he is not going to pardon your transgression, 
for my name is in him. But if you diligently obey his voice and shall do all that I speak, then I shall be an enemy to your enemies and a distresser to those who distress you. For my messenger shall go before you and shall bring you to bring you in to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and I shall cut them off. Do not bow down to their mighty ones, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but without fail overthrow them, and without fail break down their pillars. And you shall serve Yahweh your Elohim, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I shall remove sickness from your midst. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I shall fill the number of your days. I shall send my fear before you and cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I shall send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hittite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. I shall not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become a waste and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I shall drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I shall set your border from the Sea of Reeds to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river. For I shall give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them, nor with their mighty ones. Let them not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me when you serve their mighty ones, when it becomes a snare to you. Barukata Yahweh, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Bechaye Olam Bechukenu, Barukata Yahweh, Noten HaTorah. Amen. This is the Torah which Moses placed before the children of Israel. It is in accord with the Lord's command by the hand of Moses. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Namahazim kimba vetomeha meushar ha darhe noam veholnativoteha shalom ashivenu adonai Elehavena shuva Hades Hades Amenu Hades Amenu Kekedem Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe who has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Amen. All right, and tonight's Haftorah portion is going to be Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. 
And once again, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home if you'd like to read along with us. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and hear, you peoples from afar. Yahweh has called me from the womb, from my mother's belly he has caused my name to be remembered. And he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he hid me, and he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I am adorned. And I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for emptiness and in vain. But my right ruling is with Yahweh, and my work with my Elohim. And now said Yahweh, who formed me from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Yaakov back to him. Though Yisrael is not gathered to him, yet I am esteemed in the eyes of Yahweh, and my Elohim has been my strength. And he says, Shall it be a small matter for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel? And I shall give you as a light to the nations to be my deliverance to the ends of the earth. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe who has given us the living word in Messiah Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. All right, and tonight's Brichada Shah portion is going to be James 1, 26 through 2, verse 4. And one last time, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and hear, you peoples from afar. Yahweh has... James chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is worthless. Clean and undefiled religion before the Elohim and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, do not hold the belief of our Master Yeshua Messiah, the Master of Esteem, with partiality. For if there should come into your meeting place a man with gold rings and a splendid robe, and there should also come in a poor one dressed in rags, and you pay attention to the one wearing the splendid robe, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor one, You stand there, or sit here by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves, and become judges with wicked thoughts?
Barukata Yahweh Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu HaDavar HaEmet Vechaye Olam Betukenu Barukata Yahweh Noten HaBrit Chadasha Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave to us the word of truth and planted life everlasting in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. Well, sorry about that mix-up right there, but it is time for Drosh now, or in just a moment, but like always, we're going to take just a short break. I'm going to check on our live streams. We are live streaming to YouTube, Odyssey, and Twitch. So if one of those happens to go down, or if you don't like one of those for some reason, there's many ways to go and watch us, many different avenues. And of course, the best way to watch is going to be on GodHonestTruth.com. There you can click on the post for tonight's drosh, or you can click on the live stream link either way. Now, also, while we're sitting here getting ready for tonight's drosh, do us a favor and go down below, hit that like button. Also hit that subscribe button and ring the bell so that you're notified every time that we go live or upload an on-demand video. Because those of you who are subscribed know that we started putting out the tour portion readings every week. And that usually comes in about Thursday evening. So you can have just the tour portions without everything else. But if you do subscribe and you ring the bell, you'll be notified when those go up. And also when we go live every Friday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, while you're down there, also hit that share button and go down below and leave us a comment about what is your number one thing that comes to mind when you think about Christmas. Do you like Christmas? Do you not like Christmas? What really stands out in your mind where it could be some part of history or it could be some tradition or some point in your life, something that happened with you? Just let us know down below because we always love hearing from you. So let's get the drosh pulled up real quick. Now, like I said, tonight's drosh is all about Christmas. And before we get started, how much do you actually know about Christmas and the history and the origins? Those of you who've been around in the messianic way of thinking for a while now probably have some decent understanding about what Christmas is, what it actually is, some of the history behind it. In case you didn't know, we're going to be covering some of that tonight in tonight's drosh. And just a reminder, we do have our notes up that we've done on our study of Christmas on GodHonestTruth.com. So even if you've done some studying in the past, go check that out. Maybe there's something there that you don't know already. And there's a lot more in the notes than what is going to be presented tonight in tonight's drosh. We just could not include everything for the sake of time. This would be an all weekend thing, which some of you may like, but we got to keep it short for, you know, relatively short anyways, for the sake of the live stream. But just to give you a basic overview real quick about Christmas and some of the history of Christmas, Christmas was not celebrated by any of the believers in the Old Testament. Obviously, right? 
Christmas is supposed to be about the birth of Messiah. So obviously the birth of Messiah hadn't happened in the Old Testament. So believers in the Old Testament, of course, didn't celebrate Christmas. Now, let's move into the New Testament, however. When we look in the New Testament, there's still none of the believers celebrating Christmas. Not one single passage are you going to find in Brit Hadashah, a.k.a. the New Testament, where any of the believers are celebrating Christmas. In fact, when the idea of Christmas was first proposed way back when, it was actually opposed by Christians. And we'll get into some more deeper details on that in just a moment. And Christmas was actually first, um, what well, first started within the Christian community and started being, you know, celebrated and all that somewhere about the fourth century. Now, if you ever get into Christian church history, the fourth century is just a smorgasbord of all kinds of things happening and going on as far as Christianity goes. So it's really good to do history studies, you know, before that and then even after that. But the fourth century is really where things take a turning point and there's lots and lots and lots of things happen in the fourth century. One of those things, as it relates to the Night's Drosh, is the subject of Christmas. That's when it was really was first introduced into the church and started being accepted and celebrated, not church-wide, not everywhere there, there was believers, but by certain groups of Christians anyways. However, by the 6th century, it had generally become accepted and practiced and celebrated within the church or Christendom as we know it. So it took a couple hundred years, but it finally was accepted and started to be celebrated within the wider church. However, like we said, when it was first introduced back at the beginning of the 4th century, it was opposed by certain Christians because this is something that had not been done for 300 years since the death of Christ. No one had celebrated Christ's birth. It just wasn't done. And since, well, in the beginning, when it was first introduced, you had Christians opposing it. And then it eventually caught on. But even during the Protestant Reformation, there were Christians that opposed it on the same grounds as what those first Christians opposed it for. And we'll get into some more of that in just a moment, too. And even during colonial times, in the 17th century, there were still Christians that were opposed to Christmas. And that will be coming up as well. Very, very interesting stuff. And that's what we said at the beginning of the stream tonight. People talk about the war on Christmas. They think about atheists and secularists and non-Christians wanting to do away with various scenes and municipal buildings and government property and stuff like that. Schools, obviously. And they called that the war on Christmas. But that wasn't the original war on Christmas. The original war on Christmas was actually waged by Christians themselves. Okay? And by the end of tonight, you'll probably understand 
why it is they done that. Now, if you're doing your own study on Christmas, you'll sometimes might run into a roadblock. You'll think, oh, well, you don't really see Christmas before the 11th century. Well, no, not really. Before the 11th century, they actually didn't call it Christmas. They called it the Feast of the Nativity. However, the word for Christmas that we know of, Christmas, comes from about the 11th century. Catholic Encyclopedia states that the word for Christmas in late Old English is Christus Massa, the Mass of Christ, first found in 1038, the 11th century, and Christus Massa in 1131. So, just because the word Christmas wasn't around to the 11th century, it was still before that. And it goes way before that, even before the birth of Christ. We'll get into that later too, so stay tuned. But don't let a single word fool you. It's the concept that we're talking about here, the Christmas concept. Just like you don't find the word dinosaur before like the 19th century, I believe it is. But there were still dinosaurs before the 19th century. Okay, so pay a close attention to your terminology and that even though the word Christmas in its original Old English form didn't come about until the 11th century, there was still Christmas way before that. They were still celebrating Christmas way before that. Okay. But speaking of way before that, let's start taking a look at Christmas in ancient times, way back then. Okay. The Encyclopedia Britannica states that in ancient Rome, December 25th was a celebration of the unconquered sun, a pagan feast, marking the return of longer days. It followed Saturnalia, a festival where people feasted and exchanged gifts. The church in Rome began, began celebrating Christmas on December 25th in the 4th century. During the reign of Constantine, the first Christian emperor, possibly to weaken pagan traditions. And, I mean, you see it right here in black and white, as they say, right? Back in Roman times, up until the 4th century, with the rise and installment of Constantine, Christians were persecuted by pagans, pretty much. And Roman paganism had many different facets and aspects to it. Well, right before the 4th century, one of the things that kind of crept into Rome was the cult of Mithras. Okay, and the Roman soldiers really started taking up on this whole Mithras thing. So by the time the 4th century came around, by the time Constantine came around, Mithras worship was a common thing in Rome at that point. And the birthday of Mithras or what they term the unconquered sun, S-U-N, was on December 25th. Now, Saturnalia was a Roman pagan feast that lasted for seven days and ended on the 24th of December. Then they had Brumelia. Some good stuff for your notes. I should have included it here, but they had Brumelia on December 25th. <coughs> and don't take this the wrong way. We're not saying 
that Constantine is the one who brought in paganism into Christianity with Christmas on December 25th. No, as far as we can tell, Constantine really didn't care that much about Feast of Nativity or, you know, Christmas or anything like that during his time. Now, it did creep in or start creeping in under his watch, but Constantine wasn't the one that brought it in. It was other popes and bishops around Rome and around that area, the Mediterranean area. Now, some people during that time actually was dating the birth of Christ to January 6th. And like we said, originally, they did not keep a celebration of the birth of Christ. That just wasn't done until the 4th century. But because some people thought it was on December 6th, they kept the Feast of Nativity or Christmas on January 6th and refused to do it on December 25th because December 25th was the feast of the birthday of the unconquered son, the feast of the birthday of Mithras. And that's one of the reasons that those people opposed it. Now, another thing you have to take into account is that back during those days also, and to some extent even up until today as well, the church would take certain pagan things, certain pagan ideas, and they would slap a Christian sticker on them and say, hey, this is Christian too, right? This is something called syncretism, where you try and blend paganism with Christianity. Okay, and we'll get into some more detail on that in a little bit as far as what scripture has to say about it. But that's called syncretism. And this is something that happened with Christmas, something that happened with the Feast of the Nativity, as it was called back then. They took elements and practices of the Feast of Saturnalia and incorporated them into what they deemed to be the birth of Messiah, which they took the birth of Mithras on December 25th, slapped a sticker on Mithras's birthday, that said Christian and called that Feast of Nativity, which later became known what we know of as Christmas. Now, there are many speculations that have happened through the years, and there's really no date on the calendar year where someone hasn't pointed that to be the birth of Messiah. Right? And there were many different calculations back then as well. However, the one that really took hold and became tradition as we know it is December 25th, okay? Now, the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary has this to say. December 25th was the chief feast of Mithras, and in fixing on that date for Christmas, the early church sought to overlay both the Mithraic festival and the Saturnalia. And that's true. They took the date for the birthday of Mithras, a pagan god, and said, our Messiah was born on this day. They tried to syncretize it. They tried to overlay it and bring everything into a mix. They even included some of the festivities that were involved with Saturnalia. Some of the overeating and feasting, getting drunk, gift-giving, merrymaking, 
stuff like that. So even though Saturnalia wasn't on December 25th, it was still incorporated into Christmas or the Feast of the Nativity. Going back to 200 CE, biblicalarchaeology.org says, according to Clement of Alexandria, several different days had been proposed by various Christian groups. Surprising as it may seem, Clement doesn't mention December 25th at all. So even before they started celebrating Christmas in the 4th century, they were still speculating about when the date of Messiah's birth actually was. And like it says here, some of the bigger, known, more well-known church fathers, like Clement, didn't even mention December 25th. Encyclopedia Britannica. The celebration of Christmas started in Rome about 336, 4th century, but it did not become a major Christian festival until the 9th century. Now, this is something where my research has kind of disagreed with the Encyclopedia Britannica because I found out that it really was a major Christian holiday, festival, feast day about the 6th century, not the 9th century. But, you know, that's splitting hairs. It's really not here nor there. Again, Encyclopedia Britannica. On such grounds, certain Latins as early as 354 may have transferred the human birthday from the 6th of January... Remember how I was talking about that? To the 25th of December, which was then a Mithraic feast and is by the chronographer above referred to, but in another part of his compilation, termed Natalis Invicti Solis, or birthday of the unconquered son. So we're taking Messiah's birthday, which they don't know what it is, but instead saying, hey, our Messiah was born on the birthday of a pagan god. That's pretty much what they did. Then in 400 CE, about 400 CE, Augustine of Hippo mentions a local dissident Christian group, the Donatists, who apparently kept Christmas festivals on December 25th, but refused to celebrate the Epiphany on January 6th, regarding it as an innovation. Now, they're even... They're even opposing the epiphany as well. That's a no, I'm sorry, that's another drosh in and of itself. But some refuse to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. And as you see here, others refuse to celebrate epiphany on January 6th. And there's also some calendar discrepancies that go along with that as well. However, this is also where the 12 days of Christmas comes in. That's the period between December 25th in January 6th, between the Catholic dating for the Christmas and the Catholic dating for Epiphany. If you never knew that before, there you go. That's where the 12 days of Christmas comes in from. But speaking of Mithraism, according to M.J. Vermaseren, the Mithraic New Year and the birthday of Mithras was on December 25th. However, Beck disagrees strongly. Klaus states, the Mithraic Mysteries had no public ceremonies of its own. The Festival of Natalis Invicti, held on 25th December, 
was a general festival of the sun and by no means specific to the mysteries of Mithras. Oh, excuse me. Now, I think it's pointing out here is that there really were more than just one pagan occult out there. It wasn't just the cult of Mithras. There were others as well. And others also had a special day to the sun on December 25th as part of their pagan celebrations. So it wasn't specific to just Mithras. Again, with the Encyclopedia Britannica, the ecclesiastical calendar retains numerous remnants of pre-Christian festivals, notably Christmas, which blends elements including both the Feast of the Saturnalia and the birthday of Mithra. Again, Christmas, a combination of Mithraic worship and Saturnalia, another Roman pagan festival. Encyclopedia Americana. It was, according to many authorities, not celebrated in the first centuries of the Christian church, as the Christian usage in general was to celebrate the death of remarkable persons rather than their birth. And we can see that if we read through Scripture itself. We never see any Christian, we never see any believer, even in the Old Testament, celebrating someone's birthday. There is one possible connection in Job, but that's open to discussion. But for tonight's drosh, we're just going to say that, no, you do not find any believer celebrating a birthday in Scripture. In fact, you only find two instances of a birthday celebration in Scripture. The first one is Pharaoh celebrating his birthday. The second is Herod in the New Testament celebrating his birthday. Now, the connection here, besides being a birthday party, is that during both celebrations, both during Pharaoh's birthday celebration and Herod's birthday celebration, someone got their head cut off. This point of fact. There's no believers in Scripture that celebrated birthdays, not even of majorly important people like Messiah. Catholic Encyclopedia again. Christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church. Irenaeus and Tertullian omit it from their list of feasts. Origen, glancing perhaps at the discredible discreditable imperial natalicia asserts that in the scriptures sinners alone not saints celebrate their birthday arnobius can still ridicule the birthdays of the gods so the pagans would sometimes celebrate the birthdays of their gods but that's not what happens in scripture right And it mentions Origen here in this quote. So let's take a look at what Origen actually had to say on this. Origen said, Some one of those before us has observed what is written in Genesis about the birthday of Pharaoh and has told that the worthless man who loves things connected with birth keeps birthday festivals. 
And we, taking this suggestion from him, find in no scripture that a birthday was kept by a righteous man. Not their own birthdays and not the birthdays of very important people like Moses or Elijah or anything like that. And especially not the birthdays of God. But speaking of Bible and scripture, let's look in scripture to see for a fact if we can find anything about Christmas in scripture. And it may surprise you that we actually do find Christmas in scripture. Don't believe me? It actually happens several hundred years before the birth of Messiah. Yes, the celebration of the birth of Messiah happened many hundreds of years before, but it actually wasn't the celebration of the birth of Messiah. It was actually a pagan festival or pagan custom. Check this out. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. Thus said Yahweh, Do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be awed by the signs of the heavens. For the nations are awed by them, for the laws of these people are worthless. For one cuts a tree... From the forest, work for the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They beautify it with silver and gold. They strengthen it with nails and hammers so that it does not topple. Now here, right here in Jeremiah, it's describing a Christmas celebration where they go out and they cut down a Christmas tree out of the forest. They bring it back home. They secure it down. And then they decorate it with silver and gold. And right here in Jeremiah, it says, do not do this. Do not do the way of the heathens. I mean, it just can't get any plainer about what, Christ I'm sorry, about what scripture says about Christmas. <coughs> and in fact, we're constantly told over and over and over again in scripture not to follow the ways of pagans, not to follow the ways of heathen, not to follow the way of Gentiles. Because pagans, heathens, Gentiles, all the same thing in Scripture. Let's look at that real quick. Deuteronomy 12.4 Don't worship the Lord your God in the way those nations worship their gods. We're to go by Scripture, not the way that pagans do. That's what scripture tells us. Again, 12, Deuteronomy 12, 30. Guard yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire about their mighty ones saying, how did these nations serve their mighty ones? And let me do so too. Don't do like the pagans. Again, Deuteronomy 18, 9. When you come into the land which Yahweh your Elohim has given you, do not learn to do according to the abominations of those nations. Again, don't do after the ways of the nations. Don't do after the ways of the heathens, the pagan. Don't do after the ways of the heathens, the pagans, the Gentiles. Don't do that way. Again, Leviticus 18:3. Do not do as they do in the land of Mitzrayim where you dwelt. And do not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, and do not walk in their laws or the ways they do things. Again, Ezekiel eleven twelve, And you shall know that I am Yahweh, 
For you have not walked in my laws, nor executed my right rulings, but have done according to the rulings of the nations which are all around you. Again, Ezekiel 20.32 And what comes up in your spirit shall never be, when you say, Let us be like the nations, like the tribes in other lands, serving wood and stone. Wood and stone. Wood like a Christmas tree. Don't do like those nations do. Don't do like those pagans do. Don't do like those heathens, those Gentiles do. It's all the same. In fact, we're told in the Brit Hadashah specifically that now that we are Christians and no longer Gentiles, that we should not do as the pagans or the heathens or the Gentiles do. Ephesians 4.17 So this I say and witness in the Master that you should no longer walk as the nations walk in the futility of their mind. Now in other translations it has other words. It says walk no longer as the pagans do. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Nations, pagans, Gentiles, heathen. It all means the same thing. Someone who is not a follower of Yahweh. Someone who is not a believer. As a side note, for more information on that, go check out our teaching we did last year on Gentiles, which goes in depth on what is a Gentile, are we still Gentiles, etc., etc. But to boil it down, once you become saved and born again, you are a Christian, an Israelite, a child of God. You are not a pagan or a Gentile which pagan and Gentile are the same thing. So go check that out for more information. But moving on, there's even scripture that talks not just about stay away from what pagans do and don't do that, but also says that there will be destruction for those who do the things that Yahweh dislikes. Isaiah 65, 12. And I shall allot you to the sword and let you all bow down to the slaughter because I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not hear and you did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. So the people he's talking to here, he's given them to the sword because of the things that they worse and bow down to, the pagan ways of doing things, the things that he did not delight in. Even in the end times, we're told to come out of these pagan ways, to come out of her, my people. Revelation 18.4 And I heard another voice from the heavens saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Now, in just a little bit, we're going to see some more end time connections with Christmas. But you have to wait for that. Here in Revelation 18.4, it's talking about the, the pagans, the Gentiles, the nations. It's saying, come out of her, my people. Come out of the way she does things. Come out of the way that the Gentiles, pagans do things. Or else you're going to share in the plagues and the destruction and the repercussions of her sins. Again, going back to that whole point of not doing as the Gentiles or the heathens or the pagans do. The scripture tells us 
over and over again. So now let's do a quick and short story time to kind of illustrate what's going on here. Okay. Now in our story, we have Jane, Jack and Jill. Okay. Got that. So Jack and Jane, they date for a while. They, they're okay. They do all right, but you know, it's just a relationship. They do the regular things. They celebrate birthdays and holidays. They do family gatherings, all the stuff normal couples would do together. Right. However, in the end, it eventually ends up not working out. So they break up. So Jack and Jane are no more. However, Jack and Jill begin courting each other. And eventually Jack and Jill end up getting married. But then Jack says, okay, Jill, I'm going to celebrate your birthday on the date of Jane's birthday. And we're going to celebrate your birthday in the way that Jane likes to celebrate her birthday. Right? So on Jill's birthday, Jack says, sweetheart, I got you a gift that you said you didn't want and that you didn't like. So of course, Jill says, I love it when you ignore what I say I like and ignore it when you do the things I say I don't like. No, obviously not. This is not going to happen. This is not a realistic scenario because we have these interpersonal relationships. A lot of us are married or we are in a relationship or have been in a relationship before. Right. And we know that if we celebrate our wife's birthday on the date of a previous girlfriend or do the things for our wife that she doesn't necessarily like, but that a previous girlfriend liked, that's not going to work out very well. That would be very disrespectful to your wife, right? And it would be. But how much more disrespectful is it to take our Messiah and celebrate his birthday on the date of a pagan God's birthday? How disrespectful would that be if we're not going to do it to another human? In addition to that, if it's disrespectful to do the things that another person likes, an ex-girlfriend likes, to our wife, how much more disrespectful is it to do the things that a pagan god supposedly wants and likes for our Messiah? taking the things of a pagan festival to a pagan God and then doing it for our Messiah. I mean, how much more disrespectful would that be? In Genesis 4, 7, it says, talking about Cain, is it not if you do good, you are to be accepted? And if you do not do good, towards the door is a sin? He is lying and towards you is his desire and you must rule over him. Now, if you remember, Cain tried to do things his own way. 
in the way that he thought would be okay, would be serving and pleasing to Yahweh. But he did not find favor. His sacrifice did not find favor, right? You can't just do things your way or what it means to you and expect that to be all right, as we see in the example of Cain. We also see in another example with the people who came out of Egypt and while they were waiting at Mount Sinai. Exodus 32.1 And when the people saw that Moshe was so long in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Arise, make us mighty ones who go before us. For this Moshe, the man who brought us up out of the land of Mitzrayim, we do not know what has become of him. So the people are down there at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Moses has been gone a long time, and they don't know what's happened or if he's ever coming back. So they tell Aaron to make them gods like they had been used to doing back in Egypt. To make them gods to go before them. They thought they could take this pagan custom from Egypt, apply it to Yahweh, and that would be okay. That that would be serving to Yahweh. And as you've read through your scriptures and you know from the story, that did not turn out well at all. Not at all. Again, Scripture tells us not to worship Yahweh in the way that pagans do their pagan gods. Don't do it. Do the things of Scripture. Some more modern versions of these stories about Cain and the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai. You might have heard these modern versions yourself. Some people might say, well, these pagan holidays, that's not what it means to me. Okay, yeah, Christmas is from pagan origins, but that's not what it means to me. Okay, big whoop. As we just covered with Cain and his sacrifice and the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai, it's not what it means to you. It's what it means to Yahweh. That's what it's all about. Doing the things that Yahweh wants done. Not the things that you want done or what it means to you. Again, you might have heard this phrase. It's about what's in your heart. Again, no. It's about what Yahweh tells us to do. It's about what Yahweh tells us not to do. Not what's in your heart. Because the heart of man is faulty. It goes after different things at different times for different reasons. But the word of Yahweh stands forever. That's what we should be doing. And the word of Yahweh tells us, do not do the pagan things and worship Yahweh like that. Again, you might have heard this. We are thus free to change that meaning. Meaning that paganism. And this comes from walkingchristian.com. We are thus free to change that meaning from pagan to Christian. You can't take something from paganism and make it Christian. If it's pagan, it will always be pagan. There's no way you can take that 
and do it within Christianity and expect to be accepted. Not accepted by Yahweh anyways. We just saw that in scripture. Cain had it in his heart probably that he was doing things the right way for the right reasons, but his offer wasn't accepted. The people at the bottom of Mount Sinai, well, it probably didn't mean, you know, paganism in their heart. It's not what they meant to them, but it didn't turn out well for them, did it? Because the way they were doing things wasn't accepted either because that was doing pagan things to worship Yahweh. And we don't do that. We do Yahweh's ways to worship Yahweh. Now, of all the quotes you might hear about, check this out. This is from epicpew.com. Quote, There is nothing wrong with the church baptizing certain, practice, <clears throat> certain practices of other religions. Oh, gosh. So apparently epicpew.com either ignored what Scripture says or hasn't read Scripture. We just read it ourselves. Do not do as the nations do and worship Yahweh, your God, that way. So no, epicpew.com, you are incorrect. There is something wrong with trying to slap a Christian sticker on paganism and other religions. There is something wrong with it. That's what scripture says. That's the God honest truth. So let's talk about Christmas in more modern times. As we saw back when Christmas was first starting to be accepted and celebrated back in the fourth century, there were Christians who opposed it because up until that point, you know, some 300 years after the death of Messiah, people were not celebrating Christmas. However, even during the Protestant Reformation, there were people still opposing Christmas on some of the same grounds. Now, for the record, we are definitely no fan of John Calvin. We have made that clear on many occasions. But, giving credit where credit is due, let's check out this quote from John Calvin about Christmas. And he says, Now I see you here today more people than I am accustomed to having at the sermon. Why is that? It is Christmas Day. And who told you this, you poor beast? That is a fitting euphemism for all of you who have come here today to honor Noel. Did you think you would be honoring God? Consider what sort of obedience to God your coming displays. In your mind, you are celebrating a holiday for God or turning today into one but so much for that. But if you think that Jesus Christ was born today, you are as crazed as wild beasts. For when you elevate one day alone for the purpose of worshiping God, you have just turned it into an idol. True, you insist that you have done so for the honor of God, but it is more for the honor of the devil. For no day is superior to another. It matters not whether we, we recall our Lord's nativity on a Wednesday, Thursday, or some other day. 
But when we insist on establishing a service of worship based on our whim, we blaspheme God and create an idol, though we have done it all in the name of God. And when you worship God in the idleness of a holiday spirit, that is a heavy sin, <clears throat> that is a heavy sin to bear, and one which attracts others about it, until we reach the height of iniquity. But all those who barely know Jesus Christ, or that we must be subject to him, and that God removes all those impediments that prevent us from coming to him, these folk, I say, will at best grit their teeth. They, come, they came here in anticipation of celebrating a wrong intention, but will leave with it wholly unfulfilled. Again, we are definitely no fan of John Calvin. He had lots of things wrong that, you know, very unchristlike kind of stuff and actions. But this sermon he preached here regarding Christmas, hey, credit where credit is due, John Calvin got it. It's like they say, even blind squirrels find a few nuts. But moving on, English, I'm sorry, Encyclopedia Britannica. In 1644, the English Puritans forbade any merriment or religious services by act of parliament on the ground that it was a heathen festival and ordered it to be kept as a fast. So in England, the Puritans got through a measure, a law, country, nationwide, right, that banned Christmas. And it wasn't just over in the Protestant Reformation in Europe, in England. It also happened here in America as well, by Christians. Let's look at that. From the Phoenix Gazette, 1967. Christmas was once banned in Boston. The Puritans forbade the celebration of Christmas because it was a pagan feast. Episcopalians were the first in Boston to observe the holiday. They were followed by increasing numbers of young people who raised 18th century eyebrows with frolics, a reveling feast, and ball. But it wasn't until 1856 that the legislature, recognizing a losing battle when it saw it, gave in and made Christmas a legal holiday. So it was even outlawed in America for a time. And we were able to find some of the warning signs and notices from way back then. Look at this if you're watching the video. It says here, if I can read this old English stuff, public notice for the preventing of disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction by reason of some still observing such festivals as were superstitiously kept in other communities to the great dishonor of God and offense of others. It is therefore ordered by this court and the authority thereof that whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing labor, feasting, or any other way upon any such account as aforesaid, every such person so offending shall pay for every such offense five shillings as a fine to the county." Massachusetts Bay Colony, 1659. So, Massachusetts, Christmas was outlawed. And if they caught you celebrating Christmas, 
you got fined five shillings. Now, from what I can find out, in today's currency, that's somewhere around $35, I think it was. So it wasn't an exorbitant amount from what I can find out. But, you know, you still got fined for celebrating Christmas. Another notice if you're watching the video. Public notice, the observation of Christmas or observation of Christmas having having been deemed a sacrilege, the exchanging of gifts and greetings, dressing and fine clothing, feasting and similar satanical practices are hereby forbidden with the offender liable to a fi fine of five shillings. Now that English is hard to read. But yeah, here it's even calling Christmas satanical. So, you know, they had no qualms about it back during the colonial days in America. Or about calling it out anyways. Even the great preacher Charles Spurgeon had some things to say about Christmas as well. Now, if you don't know who Charles Spurgeon was, he was a preacher that is still held in high regards by lots of people, even nowadays. He's well-known. He's someone who opposed both slavery and dispensationalism, which dispensationalism is a drosh in and of itself, if you don't know what that is. But yeah, well-known, well-respected, well-liked preacher. And this is what he had to say about Christmas. He says, we have no superstitious regard for times and seasons. Certainly we do not believe in the present ecclesiastical arrangement called Christmas. First, because we do not believe in the mass at all, but abhor it, whether it be said or sung in Latin or in English. And secondly, because we find no scriptural warrant, whatever, for observing any day as the birthday of the Savior. And consequently, its observance is a superstition because not of a divine authority. So, even Charles Spurgeon lays it out at the somewhere near the end of the 19th century. Again, another quote from Charles Spurgeon. When it can be proved that the observance of Christmas, Whitsuntide, and other popish festivals was ever instituted by a divine statute, we also will attend to them, but not till then. It is as much our duty to reject the traditions of men as to observe the ordinances of the Lord. We ask concerning every rite and rubric, is this a law of the God of Jacob? And if it be not clearly so, it is of no authority with it is of no authority with us who walk in Christian liberty. So, Christians, even up as we can see near the end of the 19th century, are still opposing Christmas. And they've all, even from back in the 4th century and during the Protestant Reformation, the colonial times, and 19th century, and even today, they all still oppose it for the same reasons. Because it's not biblical and because it comes from pagan origins. So, after all this being said, do we actually find any kind of scriptural connections with the holiday of Christmas? 
Well, let's look at that real quick and see if there are. No, we don't. Santa Claus, not scriptural. Flying reindeer, not scriptural. Elves, not scriptural. Yule log, not scriptural. Santa Claus, definitely not scriptural. Okay, Santa Claus was not Mary's Lamaze partner. Okay, not in scripture. Mistletoe, not scriptural. Birth date of Jesus, not scriptural. Christmas trees, definitely not scriptural. All right, we find them in scripture as we read before. The scripture tells us not to do Christmas trees, right? Not to do Christmas like the pagans. Wreaths, not scriptural. Hanging stockings, not scriptural. And in fact, most, if not all of these, come from paganism, all right? Santa Claus, Yule Log, Elves, Flying Ranger Deer, stuff like that comes from European influence from the Druids, Celtic Druids, those pagans. Other stuff comes from, you know, Mediterranean pagans. But this stuff is definitely not scriptural. Now, before we read in Jeremiah how it says, do not do the way of the heathens when they do Christmas trees, right? But in the end times, it talks about how the Christmas trees rejoice. Check it out. Isaiah 14, 5 through 8. Yahweh has broken the staff of the wrong, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath will, with ceaseless blows, he who ruled the nations in displeasure, is persecuted and no one restrains. All the earth is at rest and at peace. They shall break forth into singing. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you, and the cedars of Lebanon, same. Since you were cut down, no woodcutter has come up against us. So in the end times, the pagans will be cut down, will be done away with, and as a result, the trees who would normally be cut down for Christmas trees rejoice because there's no one there to cut them down. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Christmas in connection with end times. And I just want to leave you with this final quote from John F. Kennedy. The great enemy of the truth is very often not the lie, deliberate, contrived, and dishonest, but the myth, persistent, persuasive, and unrealistic. Belief in myths allows the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. And that's so true, and especially true when it comes to our tradition and our myth of Christmas. So, in conclusion, Christmas originates from pagan sources. Christmas wasn't celebrated for about the first 300 years after Yeshua died. It wasn't until the 4th century when Christmas was introduced and started being accepted and celebrated by Christians. And even Christians themselves at multiple points in history, back during the 4th century, the Protestant Reformation, colonial times, 19th century, 20th century, and today, Christians still oppose Christian, I'm sorry, Christians still oppose Christmas because it is pagan. And finally, Scripture tells us not to follow after the ways of the nations, otherwise termed Gentiles, pagans, or heathens. 
to not do that. Not do pagan things. And that's just the God honest truth. So I would like to thank you for joining us tonight. We hope that you got something out of this drosh, out of this teaching. And just a moment, we'll be doing the Aaronic benediction. So if you have anyone there with you that you would like to have gathered next to you, then go ahead and start gathering them together. Now, once again, if you happen to miss something or you'd like to go back and review something, then you can always go and check out the post that we have on God Honest Truth for tonight's live stream. And you will also find there are notes that we have been taking on Christmas. Now, those are our master notes. So those will be updated over time as we discover more and more things. So check back time and time again. But you can find that on the post for Christmas, the post for tonight's drosh, or you can find that under the resources tab in the notes section. Now, while you're doing all that and getting everyone next to you, go down below, make sure to hit that like button, hit the subscribe button and ring the bell. Also, be sure to hit that share button and leave us a comment. Let us know what you thought about tonight's service and about tonight's drosh. Did you learn anything during tonight's teaching? Did it change your mind in any way? And if so, or if not, let us know. We always love hearing from you and love hearing what kind of impact that these services and these streams have on you. So with all that being said, let's go ahead and get into tonight's Aaronic benediction, our priestly blessing and close out the service. Yevarekaka Yahweh, Vayishmarecha, Yair Yahweh Panavilecha, Vihunecha, Yisah Yahweh Panavilecha, Vayasim Lecha, Shalom. May Yahweh bless you and guard you. May Yahweh make his face shed light upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up his face unto you and give you peace. Thank you once again for joining us tonight and for tonight's drosh on Christmas. We hope that you have a great, wonderful, and restful Shabbat. We hope that this next upcoming week for you is filled with good food, good fortune, good spirits, good family, good friends, good health. And until we meet again next week, take care of yourself, take care of each other, Shavua Tov, and Shabbat Shalom.